David said unto the young man, Get up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. <laughs> and thus shall you say unto him that liveth in prosperity, Peace be unto thee, and peace be to thine house, and peace unto all that thou hast. Now here's the guy who's an anointed king to reign over Israel, and someday would reign over this man. And then he said, And now I have heard that thou hast shears. Now thy shepherd which were with us, we hurt them not, neither was there aught missing unto them. All the while they were in Carmel. Ask thy young men, and they will show thee, wherefore the young men findeth favor in the eyes, in thine eyes. For we come in good day. Give, I pray thee, whatsoever cometh to thine hand unto thy servant and to thy son David. Here's David running from Saul. And when David's young men came, they spake to Nabal according to all those words in the name of David, and ceased. And Nabal answered David's servant and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. This is those rebellion in those days, obviously. Shall I then take my bread? and my water, and my flesh, that I have killed for my shears, and give it unto, that, unto men, whom I know not whence they be. So David, young men, turned their way, and went again, and came and told David all those things. Now David's angry. I don't want to read, I want to read David's anger, because you can read for yourself. But when you notice what happened to, the, to this man, so... Obviously, he's coming to kill Nabal. But verse 36, the death of Nabal. Because Abigail stopped David from doing what he planned on doing. He planned to wipe him out, kill him. And David could do it, but he was king. This wasn't on the throne yet. And Abigail came t to Nabal. And behold, he held a feast in his house, like the feast of a great king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunken. Wherefore she told him nothing less or more until the liquor get out of him. That's what she's saying here. Till the morning was light. She's very smart. She knows she can't tell him what she did. Otherwise it'd be mad at her and, him and kill her perhaps. But it came to pass in the morning... When the wine was gone out of Nabal, and his wife 
had told him these things that she did, his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. He was mad. He was angry that she dared took that sheep and whatever he owned, some of the riches, and gave it to David, of all persons, David, whom he disdained. And it came to pass about ten days after that the Lord smote Nabal, and he died. And here's David crying for him now. And when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord that hath pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and hath kept his servant from evil. For the Lord hath returned the wickedness of Nabal upon his own head. And David sent and communed with Abigail to his wife. And when the servant of David were come to Abigail to Carmel, they spake unto her, saying, David sent us unto thee to take thee to be his wife. That means he's going to inherit everything that guy owned. That's amazing. And she arose and bowed herself on her face to the earth and said, Behold, let thine handmaid be a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. In other words, David made her a queen when he married her and took her in. Lord Jesus, bless the rest of this service. I ask you tonight to bless us in Jesus' name. You're blessing all the time. You're a generous God, kind God, a merciful God, a God of understanding, a God that is precious. A God that's good in all season, in all weather, in all situation. I love you and adore you. We, we bow before you, God. We recognize your goodness and your mercies that endured through all generation, even to today. You're the same. Thank you, God. Bless this service with understanding and knowledge, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to... Some lights went off a while ago. Lost some lights a while ago. This one back on, please. All right, let me be seated. It's hard to title this, but you know, we were talking last week in Edmonton, and this term came to mind big. Big. And I call it there's blessing in giving. Blessing in giving. And it's always seemed like every time I have a, a message to bring to this church, I get a little email there, or email from some of our assistant organization. And it will just coincide. And I thought, God, we want to be in tune with what you're saying around the world. God has one message for his church. No matter where the church is, Caribbean, Europe, Africa, the message is still the same. God has one church. And it's communicating with his body. And so we came with the acronym BIG. Not only is it bold, innovative, and growing, would also mean blessing in giving. I told Brother, Brother Carter, youth for your youth group, it's a big thought. Amen. To be big for God. Blessing in giving. Now, the Bible is a book that is fair and very transparent. It will point to you the goodness of Abraham and the failings of Abraham. It always shows you both sides. It never cover up any parts of a person's life. It'll show you their strength and their weaknesses. 
If all you knew was that uh, Samson was a hero of faith, you wouldn't know that he messed up. <laughs> but he sure did. And God called him a hero. You read Rahab's story, and you would read only that she's a hero of faith, but she also lied. <laughs> she had a background that was not very polished, but God write the, the fair writings of a person's bio. And here we're talking about a man called Nabal. It would have been nice if he was a prophet, a priest, or a king for God, but not so. But we know he was wealthy, very prosperous, and well taken care of, and obviously he got drunk. <laughs> this man loved himself and blessed himself. But if you study this man's life, you're going to find that this man really was a miser. He really was a miser. And David was anointed king, but running for his life from Saul, and ran into a bind where his men, three or four hundred men with him, are hungry and they're starving after running for their lives. And they come across this man. Now, they could have stolen his sheep, rustled them and turned away. And there's nothing he could do about it because David men were good fighters. But they chose to protect his inheritance in the field. Never touched it, never disinherited him, left him alone. In fact, protect Abigail and the servants in the field. And now David is in dire need. And David says, I want some food <laughs> for my men. And sent to, to the men in peace and told them, I need your help. You got an abundance. Give me some. Share some with my men. They're hungry. That man lashed him with his tongue and cussed him right out and called him a rebel. <laughs> He's talking to the future king. In fact, this man is anointed of God. This man is called of God to reign over Israel, through whom the seed of of of, of Abraham would be materialized. And what an opportunity to be. Uh, a contributor to the kingdom of God you know but Nabal somehow he was of the Bible says Baal he was a churlish man that means he was miserable mean spirit and this says a guy of Belial now what's amazing is he's rich he's prosperous God showed you how this man has got a whole lot going for him in other words, God bless the good and the bad. Doesn't matter how bad you are, God still blesses. God bless this man and prosper him. He's got thousands and hundreds of stuff. He had more than enough for himself and his servants and all that could come to him. He was not a philanthropist for sure. He was not benevolent. He was just plain stingy. And I'm sure his wife was very careful how she touched what he owns because he would get pretty angry. He would chew her out. And I suppose she have to give an account how she handled what he owns because he's keeping a check on her. Now, when in verse 25 it says, this man, his name, Nabal is his name, which means folly. That means he's a fool. Now, how can a man be a fool and be prosperous? How can a man be a fool and be wealthy and be so well taken care of? Well, it doesn't mean he's a fool in worldly things. 
It means foolish and godly things. Because he worshiped Baal and not, amen, not worshiping Jehovah God. He's a son of Belial, a folly, a foolish man. And he's withholding things from David. And David took his sword and said, Every man in that man's house is good as dead. I'm going to cut him off. Now, was David right to do that? Absolutely not. <laughs> David is in the flesh. David's taking matters own hands, going to kill and commit murder and mess up his record. Abigail said, No, David, don't do that. You're going to destroy everything God prophesied on you. Don't touch that man. Don't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. But here's some food. <laughs> Take it to your friends. And this man doesn't know that his wife did this. She's smart. She chose the right moment, the best moment to talk to him. She knows this moment is very inflammatory. Don't do it. It's going to cost a fiber. Tell him right now, this is not the moment. You know, some women are discreet and some are not. She, she's so smart. She's wise. He's folly. I mean, foolish. But he's what? She's wise. And she picked her moment. And she said, I'm not going to talk to you when it's all no way. It ain't going to work. I'm going to wait for her when he's calm. And even when he's calm, he can blow up. But I'm going to still talk to him. And so she waited. He got drunk. She said, no, better not talk to him at that time. Wait till he's sleeping off. And he's calmed down. And the wine's gone out of him. And, you know, wine's a mocker. Strong drink is raging. I'll talk to him when he's really able to think smartly. And she could have not tell him at all. She could have chosen not to tell him. He would have known. He's got a whole lot more than he, he knows. But she felt, i got to tell him. So she said, I'm going to tell him what I did. So I said, hon? He said, yeah. Hon, yeah. Hon, I'm going to tell you something. Well, what is it? Well, hon, <laughs> you know, try to wonder, what on earth is you going to do that tell him what I just did? Well, you know those guys that came by? I know you told them no, but I I overrode it and I gave them what they wanted. I could see the house on fire. The walls start vibrating. <laughs> the roof start pulsating. It was time for 911. Fire. Fire in the house. And she's about to burn. <laughs> and the house about to burn down. I mean, all hell broke loose. But she held her calm. She didn't respond. She didn't know that's, it. that's how he would behave. He's called folly. And when he, he finally quit being angry, because the Bible says his heart tore like a stone. I mean, he became heartless. He was not pleased. He's so mad. Now, he's got a, got a whole lot left. More than enough. So what he lost is nothing. This peanut, that's the dust off the, the top of the thing that he owns. But just the fact that she gave it, his heart turned stone. That means uh, without feelings, gone past feelings. He's about to die from a heart attack. <laughs> it says his heart became as a stone. That means angry. And then it killed him. Obviously, he died suddenly from a heart attack. Huh. It killed him. But here's the sad part. 
Now that he's dead, all the camels, all the cows, all the sheep that he didn't want to give to David could turn right in the hands of David. All the things he wouldn't let go of willingly, cheerfully, without grudging, he will have to let go. And the very people he did not want to have it was going to have it. And in that coffin or casket or whatever they buried him in, there was nothing he could do about it. And the only remembrance you're going to have of him was, there's a man that misery and greed killed him. He died with a broken heart. Died from a broken heart. Not because his wife died or his wife is sick, but died because somebody took some of what he has and gave it to someone who was in need. Even though he had more than enough, he had no reason to withhold it. And he withheld it and died over it. Now, I was thinking in the Bible, when the Bible says, and I don't want to distort scripture here. The Bible says you brought nothing in this world and you can take nothing out. It says on the board, nothing is impossible to God. Now, nothing could mean different things to different people. That statement could be an incomplete statement or it could be a continuous statement. Obviously, with God, nothing is impossible. In other words, God is saying his ability is beyond capability. You can't fathom his ability to do things. And even every Christian sometimes limit God. We all limit God. We all come against a stone and we figure like our God is dead and we act like he's dead or his hands are shortened and we behave weird. I'm supposed we embarrassed him, but you know we're just flesh. Because we're limited in our own thinking. It says nothing, because God took nothing in the book of Genesis chapter 1 and produce something so he's the only God I know that can take nothing and produce something but concerning us he said we brought nothing in the world and you can take nothing out and ask God permission to let me correct that statement in the humanity form tonight not because I'm adding to God's word or giving a new translation here but you can take something out of this world. And you will, whether you like it or not. Some people take their sins out of the world and follow them. And some people take the good they've done and follow them. So it's not true that you leave this world empty. You leave this world with a record that follows us. Hello? We came without the record, but you take it back with us. You know, you take a record with you that you never had. Now, these guys were killing people in the Middle East and going to have these tremendous, exotic, and erotic evidence in heaven experience when they got blown up by bombs. I hope they received what they planned for. I don't think it happened, though. I think they had a myth, <laughs> had a, a candy cotton. Uh, stick they're, they're licking on and they get zero they go in the wrong place 
And they're going to get their reward. Everybody got a reward. That's the way you leave this world. You have a reward. Everybody have a reward based on their works. So when you leave this world, you do get something of this world. Now, and so the, the word giving, David is the complete opposite of Abigail's husband. Now she's got this other husband in her life, David. What a contrast. The Bible talks about the sure mercies of David. In other words, you can set your clock by it. Absolute mercy is guaranteed from David. It is so absolute that God says, David is like me. <laughs> now, I wouldn't dare compare myself to God in character and person. But God said, David is like me. If I said that, that's almost blasphemy to say that. I would say I want to be like God, but not saying God's like me. That's lowering God's standard and, and God's elegance to my vain, corruptible, fleshy ways. But said, David is like me. And what a difference. I wonder how Abigail enjoyed her life after that, be married to David. And find a godly man that's prayer and dance and worship God. Instead of a guy that belies himself, a man here in her life that's a man of God that loved Jesus Christ. I'm not Jesus Christ, but Jehovah back then. And just worship him. What a contrast in her life. And not only that, he's king. He owns more than castles. And the whole Israel is his. It's all his. Anointed three times. Amen. What a, what a. Switch around that God did for Abigail. Now, David should have been pleased with Abigail and stopped there, but he didn't stop. He messed around and got, got in trouble. But Abigail was the absolute girl for him. Amen. Because she was a wonderful, wise-hearted woman. Amen. Now, the word big to me means blessing in giving. The important thing that I found about uh People in the world even observed each other. And you would have found that some people said about others that they know. They said, a genuine miser is a man who collects this now, money for the mere enjoyment of his possession. A, not for what it buys, either in pleasure or power. B, but just as a magpie collect things indeed as a fanciful idea. It's not an obsession because the obsessed is affected against their will. And the obsessed will fight obsession and try to have a release from it because it makes them unhappy. But the miser is not so. He's not trying to stop being a miser. Are you with me? The miser enjoy being a miser. He enjoys it. He's not hoarding it because it, the power it gives him or the pleasure of having more stuff. He just wants it and that's it. Just to look at it gives him the pleasure. And just to keep it and not giving it to you, it's the pleasure. Alright? And so the miser gets pleasure from the sensation 
that it gives them, it gives them sensation and not the normal pain that you would get if you had an obsession. So the mind is someone who always fears the future. He fears it. A miser is always concerned about the potential of financial loss. And they never see himself as gaining. They always want more and more and more. The miser insists in always counting, analyzing, in the extreme cases, whores <laughs> and whores and whores. He can't spend it all. It can't give him any more power than he has. He can't buy him any more pleasure than he's able to enjoy. He sure can't eat it all. But he just wants more and more, and he will not give it. He just keeps it and enjoys just looking at it and stored up as high as possible. I remember a man was preaching one time about this woman, and she's going to be a, a traitor to her country. And they marched in, and she knows where the secret passage was. And Alexander the Great said to her, show us the way. He said, no, we won't. And they said in the story that she said, I only saw no one on one condition. If all of your soldiers would give me the gold that they have. He said, yes, I agree. But on one condition, if we can put all the gold on top of you. We'll give you all the gold you need, but you have to lay down so we can pile it on top of you. Well, <laughs> you can figure out what happened to her. There's more gold than she could raise up from the dead from. <laughs> it just squashed her to death. She could not keep it all. She could not hold it up. You see, the mind of somebody who refuses to spin. They'll rather eat a roadkill than buy it from the supermarket. Water's too expensive for them to even wash their clothes. Some misers will not even wash their clothes. Because it costs too much to pay for the water bill. In fact, they won't even put the lights on. <laughs> the light bill is too much for them. And so the miser, he fails to enjoy what we call a full life and is over, overrun by this desire to hoard and keep. Now the question is, does the Bible have anything to say about these kind of people? It does have. And I just hate to burden you down with this, but you didn't know about it. Uh, in Proverbs 11:24, and I'm going to paraphrase it to you, the Bible said, The one who scatters increases more and more. And the one that withholds, he always suffers once in poverty. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 13. It says, There's a grievous evil that I've seen on the sun. Riches hoard by their owner, only to their own hurt. Even the people who win a lot of 649 or whatever, they, they don't get the joy that we thought would have come with them. Or the fulfillment. And now that they shouldn't have what they have, I'm just trying to say that they, the, 
the transferring of benefits are just not there. The benefits are just not there. This inanimate thing just don't bring full animation to a person's life. It just don't make you a better person. First Timothy six seven. Here's what Paul reminding some people like Timothy. They saw what Demas did. He said, "Look, Timothy, you brought nothing in this world, and you can take nothing out. I promise you, Timothy is not remembered for how much cash he had in his pocket. Timothy is reminded to us all and preached around the world when there were other people his age." Like the rich young ruler, and many others who were affluent and, and 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 full of stuff, but they're buried, and you'll never know their name. It reminds me of the twelve spies, you know, the twelve spies that went down to the Jericho and looked around and came up with bad report. Nobody knows their name, even though their name is in the Bible. We don't, we don't talk about them. We just ignore them. But everybody talk about Joshua and Caleb. It's amazing, isn't it? But you can't name any of those ten spies. You don't know their name. What's, what's their name? They came and left and you forgot about them. Not, not an incentive to call their name. But here's Joshua and Caleb. They're remembered. Because they gave. They gave. In 1 Timothy 6, 9-10, Paul tells me and you, and I don't know if we all believe Paul, but we see the scripture anyhow, that if I desire and crave to be rich, I'm always setting myself up for the lust of temptation to draw me into a snare, a trap, where many foolish, harmful, hurtful situations exist and ruin men and bring them down to folly and destruction. They said this, the love, not the use of, not the use of money, but the love of money. It's now, it's the root. Now, not a branch, not a fruit, the root of all evil. And yet we think if we have more money, I could be a better Christian. I could be a better husband, a better wife. If that's true, those who have it ought to be a better husband, ought to be a better wife, or a better whatever, and it's not the case. They buy more drugs, yes. <laughs> they got more addiction, yes. More folly, yes. It says it's the root of all kinds of evil. And those who long for it wander away from the faith. I know people that are it right now. They have chosen the pursuit of that situation in versus the pursuit of God. They do. And you know what? They're, they're, they're in a procession that others before them have done. It's a long trail of examples for us to learn from. Well, obviously some people learn from the mistake of others, and others don't. They learn from their own mistakes. Amen. But it says, people wander from the faith. I think of Demas. I think of Achan. Uh, I think of uh, Giesa, lost his ministry. Of Judas lost his bishopric, his apostleship, and pierced himself through with many griefs, and it cannot be repaired. Think about it. I wonder why Jesus Christ didn't pursue it. 
I wonder why he chose poverty when he could have been rich. Though he were rich, he became poor. Why would he do it? There must be something I'm missing because Jesus did it. Now, I'm going to show some pictures here. Let's have some pictures, times here. Show some pictures here. I'm going to show you some pictures that I drew. Pastor Neil, the theological artist who just so amazingly descriptively showed things to the saints. Now, I wish I had my pointer here. It always appeared on me. All right. Here somewhere. I'm sure if Matt was here to find it for me. <laughs> That's right here. I'm just teasing. All right, here it is, folks. Look at this, folks. Which of these faces are are you? Which one do you choose? Now, guys, realign yourself so you can see. I can I can't fit, I can't move this to show everybody where where, where it is, sir. Relocate yourself so you can see the chart. Look at those faces. Is there any, socially, is there any psychology involved in giving? What's the difference anyway, whether I give or not? Does it really matter? Are there any consequences? Are there any benefits to gain from giving? If I chose not to participate, in releasing, but all this hoarding and, and taking. If I just <laughs> the rest of my life be a lover of myself and despise others, what kind of <coughs> psychological phenomena would I experience in life? Well, I'll show you a few faces. The Bible says that people give their types of giving, some give because of necessity. They feel they have to give because it's a necessity laid on them, maybe against their will. Some give sparingly. They miter measure out what they gave. Some give because of thanksgiving. And some give because they were forced to, so they give it grudgingly. All right, take it. I don't really want to give it, but take it. I feel the pressure. I'm not sure which of those Anna Sapphire was under because people were giving things up. It was a giving away time. People were giving stuff up. And those who didn't have what all to give sold what they had so they could have to give. They went and sold their belongings so they could give. And this couple felt... They couldn't be left out of the picture. They felt either necessity or all the above, or sure it wasn't Thanksgiving. But you have those that are cheerful givers. <laughs> and they dance and they laugh and they're happy and they're giving. And they want to do it and even more. I remember a group in Deuteronomy. And Numbers and Exodus, Ramona said that to a group of people, Stop! 
giving. I have more than enough to build the tabernacle. Let's keep coming. Just stop it. We can't hold it. Every church, every pastor would love that kind of situation. We can always dream. And dream become a nightmare. But most of stop. It's more than enough. I'm not sure the pastor will stop you even if he had more than enough. <laughs> Either. We're, we're both ways. And then some give cheerfully and some give willingly. Now, from an artist's impression, this is the face of a grudging giver. Look at his face. Look at his facial features. Now, I know from the Bible that the king told Nehemiah, your face revealed the condition of your heart. He said, you have a sad countenance, sir, you cupbearer. And it must mean nothing but sickness of the heart. So your face is a giveaway. That's why I said the false face. It's to cover the real face. But here's a grudging giver. Look at him, grudging. Why do we have to give? Why do you want more? Don't you think you have enough? All he would talk about and preach about is money, 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 money. The next one. Ha, ha, ha. I have another opportunity to give. Oh, thank you, Pastor. Thank you, whatever. I'm able to give one more time. I'm just so happy. Ha, ha, ha. Wow. I got a phone home one time. Another chance come for me to be a cheerful giver. Ha ha giver. Then you have this one sparingly. Well, let me count. Well, you know, let me give God. I got, I got some hundred dollar bill in my pocket, and I got some fifties and tens and five. But I got a few dimes. I got a few pennies too. So let's give uh, twenty five cents. Not too bad, you know. It's just, this is the token of my appreciation. 25 cents. Sparingly. Then you got next giver. Here we go again. Pastor want more money. Church want more money again. Another, another, another project. Ah, isn't tithing good enough? Isn't offering good enough? Can you, can you give us a break? <laughs> I mean, every 10 years you come asking for money. Can't give us a break. Could you please change that to be, uh, uh, I know we have to give, but could it make it every 50 years? Simply because I don't live 50 years long. By the time a sucker come around, I know I'll be dead, so I don't have to give. <laughs> or uh, let me know when pastor's his business night, so I won't come because I know he's going to ask for him. Pledge. <coughs> yes, Pastor, I pledge not to be there. <laughs> Just let me know where you're going to do all that, please. Give me an email. So I want to be there. Give a necessity. So they gave it. They gave it. 
And then you got the one that says, he's not going to be hiding one bit. <coughs> Look at his face. He's saying, no way! Boy, let us do this. Lambless. If he thinks I'm going to work eight hours on the job and bring my money and give it to him, he got something else coming. I need it for my kids' milk and diapers. I got to buy the. <laughs> I got to buy my own groceries. I can't even pay for my Cadillac. He says, "No way." And so, these are the faces, folks. These are the faces that God sees every day on earth. But what's the real purpose of giving? Why does God require people to give? There must be a secret behind it all. Because God does not do things without a reason. Look at this contrast that Jesus Christ showed the apostles. Now, the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians was trying to tell them, I haven't grudged anything you've got. I didn't borrow from you. I didn't steal anything from you. He said, but being a Pharisee, God taught me something. Now, the Pharisees are people that would take, 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 like King Saul. God said, you're king on the take, 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 take. And the Pharisees were the ones that raped widow houses and put burden on them. And Jesus Christ was the divine contrast. So they hated him because Jesus made the Pharisees look bad. They had to feed the Pharisees. Jesus fed those who fed the Pharisees. And I figure he should be king. <laughs> Let's make him king. Because this king don't don't collect taxes. This king give us wherewithal to pay taxes. Look at this, folks. The poor, the only bank the poor has is the piggy bank. I can hear the shout on the amen. Can you guys hear it? It's like a rushing, mighty, rushing, mighty man. Feed like the day of Pentecost right now. In one, one discord. And they kept no sound from heaven. There is no wind, frown, or the bad kind of wind. It's a piggy bank right here. Look at it, folks. The piggy bank, the poor gift from the piggy bank. And then you got those who can give from their vault. Hello? The bank account, their investment. And they're what with all. And so, all giving comes down to that. One is commitment, right here. And the other is give on, well, I give for whatever reason. But Jesus draw the contrast between the two givers, not the apostles. He sat down over the treasure. The treasure one will, will collect money and look after it. And he watched as the, the, those came from the piggy banks and those came from the Myrtle Bank, the major bank. 
And I'm sure the Merkel Bank gave a whole lot more visibly in the eyes of men. That's the kind both directors would like to have. And the people want to vote as premier and premier. But this piggy bank, Jesus says, she gave more. So obviously it's not the gift that he's interested in. It's the person, the giver, that he's focusing on. He's not focusing on the gift so much as the giver. Because that's the message he brought out. The giver is a widow. Now who wants to be a widow? Nobody wants to be a widow. Who want to be a rich? I don't want to be a rich person. Definitely. I don't want to be a widow. I don't want to be a poor person. I don't want to be a rich person. Was that what he's saying? No. He's looking at the, the condition of the heart behind the giving. One gave from the abundance knowing that when they go home, they got a whole lot left. And you may say, wow, whoa, great. And the one who had to scrape between his meat gave it right here. Jesus said, the piggy bank giver went home more justified. And on this basis, Paul is teaching the Ephesians, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, a penhandler don't believe that. <laughs> because the penhandler at the gate called beautiful expect to receive. And Paul, I mean, Peter and John taught him something that not so. There's something greater than that. All right? Now, I have something here to show. I think I missed it here. I'm trying to find it. I'm not sure where I put it, but I'm going to find it here for a minute here. It's here somewhere. I'm going to find one of the pictures here. Ah, I missed a page here. Look at that. Wow! Talking about giving. I hear a voice. Speaking to me is saying, everybody's mind is saying, after this you're going to ask for a gift. You're right. You heard from the Spirit. You heard well. You got good discernment. Tap yourself on the back. You tapped into the Spirit. You're in the Spirit tonight. You're on the flesh. But there are two kind of investors. Amen. You got the tight-fisted and the open arm. But everybody die with what? Open arm. You come in this world with your fist tight. Like this. Look at the man, guys. Tight-fisted. When you die, I promise you, it opens up like this. You release everything. This. Everything you have tonight, I promise you, I may be around to see it, or I may be able to see it. You have to give it up, or you're not going to know who gets it, unless you give it while you're alive. If you do it while you're alive, you know who gets it. But if you wait till you're dead, you'll never know who reaps re 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 it. Here's some contrast. Lazarus. 
a memorial made for him, the rich man is forgotten. Dorcas, a memorial, a woman. She's remembered all over the world. And the satire is about Ananias and Sapphira, the couple. They're forgotten. The widow <laughs> and her might is spoken of by every God-called preacher. Memorial is made for her. And look at this wealthy, fat, overfed, overhoused man. Forgotten by the world. Look at the alabaster box and Judas with the bag. Look at it. What do you notice here? On my right they all receive. On my left they're all releasing. It's not true nothing follows you when you leave. You do take something out. <laughs> Look at this right here. Alabaster box. She'll be remembered for what she did to Jesus Christ. So would Jesus. We remember what he did to Jesus Christ too. With a different light. You see, when I look at the cemetery, what I, what I become in the cemetery is going to be based on what I live in the sanctuary. If you don't give your best in the sanctuary, you'll be just another fossil in the cemetery. Bones. No power in your bones. But the Bible said they could not touch the bones of Josiah. Hallelujah. And when they touched the bones, hallelujah, I like this, of Elisha, life came out of it. What you do for God, go in the grave with you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And what you do for the world stays in the world and goes to somebody else. And you don't know who gets it. And usually there's a lesser person than you. <laughs> I want you to think about it. Amen. Here's David. And here's Nabal. David's tomb is still with us. Can anybody find the tomb of Nabal? A lady, I won't tell you where, in Canada, what province, just came in the church and she had no idea what she's doing. Before she died, unknown to the preacher, she willed all of her estate to the church not knowing that church wanted to buy a building not knowing that the church's dream of always buying that building a church building and never could one day the phone rang and he's called by a lawyer and the lawyer said 
that woman that just came in your church passed away and made your church the benefactor of her will. And that money purchased that brand new building that man and the saints are in tonight. She's not the only one dying in that city. But she's the only one going to be celebrated in heaven. And I'm sorry we Pentecostal don't teach you guys that. You're unsaved, kids. I don't care how much you give to them. It will not be honored in heaven. But the cup of water that you have made available to a man of God or a prophet or a child of God or a kid, it follows you. Think about it. All the silver, all the gold, all the money they gave to uh, art and science and music <laughs> and make all these trophies, uh, Stanley Cups, whatever, and they pay their millions for. It's not recorded in heaven. The glory are forgotten. All these retirees and their companies with their millions and their sons and daughters, it's not re recorded. They get no merit for it on the other side. They live in vain and they die without gain because they never learn that there's more blessedness in giving and it does matter to whom you give. You can give to the United Way till you fall on your face. It will not benefit to you until you give to the only way, the truth and the life. That's the only time you're going to pay to give to the way. You don't hear me, folks? I'm talking to you. I don't care what you sit on. You have to give up that chair, that car, that a watch in your pocket. That's why, you know, I notice, ladies, they don't bury you women with purses. No, they don't. And gentlemen, they don't bury you with side pockets. They just don't do it. You put a pen somewhere on a pocket there. Your giving days are over in that coffin. Coffin day is reaping day. That's when harvest takes place. God don't harvest the living. He harvests the dead. And the bones of Joseph because not what he did for Egypt but what he did for his brothers. He said, my bones. You know something, church? The twelve sons of Jacob died in Egypt including Joseph but only one set of bones left Egypt. The other 11 stayed in Egypt. Lord of mercy. Can anybody hear me? I just talked to you, Holy Ghost anointing revelation like you've never heard before. I'm telling you, there's some bones going to stay right in the grave right here and going nowhere because they gave nothing to God. Nothing. And their bones like the brothers of Joseph they're going to stay right here. But Joseph who gave, he said, when the Messiah come, take my 
bones with you. And Jesus Christ says, the only people going to go to heaven when he comes. I was telling somebody, the unifying theme in Revelation is, I know thy works. So folks, you're going to die soon. Determine where your money's going to go. Give it to your sons and daughters if you want to. Give it to your cousins or your kids. But don't expect the reward from God. Don't expect God to pat you on the back. He will not pat you on the back. He'll ignore it. But the cup of water you gave in my name, he'll follow you. Whoa, I lost you now. <laughs> Old Deacon Baker died. He was a he was a real Canadian. He was a great Canadian. And he, he gave his estate to make a museum in Canada. Nobody talk about it. Nobody desired to visit it. I could preach this on Sunday morning, but I don't want to bless everybody on Sunday morning. Sunday morning, I'll just throw, I'll just throw the blessing out there. Some get it, some don't get it, but I know who, who I really want to get it. I want to throw it on the good and the bad. <laughs> But tonight, I'm talking to you tonight. I'm trying to tell you you're late. I know this, this gentleman. He had a lot of acreages. And his, his family never paid one attention when he was there or when he was sick and when he died. But he made a grave mistake. He willed all to his unsaved connections. And they came in like cockroaches and hoarded everything he had. And he missed the chance to make a memorial. A memorial. David, before he died, you know what he did? He collected all the gold, all the silver, and all the board, and all the utensils. You know what he did with it? He said, Solomon, I want you to take this and do what I would have liked to have done if I was still living. Bill, a magnificent house for God. <laughs> when we went to camp, man, I go there and I see that room. This room it says, dedicated to the memory of mother and father so-and-so. I thought, would to God every one of our church members in this conference would come in my room and see in all these rooms, on the walls, all over, these people got a revelation we don't have. It says, my family is dead, but I dedicate this to their memory. Did you know the people who did not give at Mount Sinai their gold and their silver and the fabrics? They built a golden calf. Where do you think the term come from? Cash cow. Cash cow is an Egyptian Mount Sinai term for people who do not give their cash to God and turn into traps for the devil. I'd rather hold a smoke going up in heaven than a smoke going in my nose. Lord have mercy. I feel I feel the Holy Ghost here. I mean, ooh, how do I shut telling my son? 
I know there's going to be some surprise in the form of Mary when Jesus Christ comes. People are going to be surprised. You mean those little people with the piggy bank? Yes. Piggy bank. Not billionaires. Not trillionaires. But here's to the kingdom. Here's the joy here with Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Woo, hallelujah. Well, come on, somebody. No, I lost it somewhere. But you see, there are two ways of giving. I give from my abundance or from my need. Now, both are good if you want to give to the cause, because the cause is about to receive it. But the one that the greatest praise is not the abundance giver, is the one from his need. The, the two friends are talking. I said, you're my best friend. Oh, and I said, I love you too, man. We, we, we're, we're the best. We're connected. Oh, yes. But you know what? He's a friend, A. I, I love you so much. You know, if I had the whole world, I'd give you half of it. I mean, if, if I have a, a, a farm, you know, if I, I mean, I have a, 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 I mean, a thing full of gold, I, I'll, share, I'll give you half of it. I'll give you all. The person says, sir, you know what? Tell you what. Uh, I really believe you would do all that. But you know what? You got some cows and some sheep back there, you know, in the farm, you know. So since you can't give me the gold and the silver in the world, why don't you give me half of your farm with all the cattle? Oh, no, I can't do that. You see, people want to give what they don't have. But what they have, they don't want to give. I'm on a journey called Give You Way to Prosperity. Nabab was prosperous but not blessed. The wicked prosper, but the wicked is not blessed. Blessed mean you have the joy, the contentment, and the peace of mind, and the fulfillment and the enrichment to, to enjoy the labor of your hands. I know one lady, she was paying tithes for her family because she wasn't God to save her. I said, no, I don't want your tithes. She said, oh, yes, Pastor. You ain't going to tell me, no, I want to do this because I want my son to get saved. He's the only one that's saved, and she wouldn't stop doing it. And I watched him get saved. She, she invested in her relative's future. Lip service and hip service are two different things. In your hip is the back pocket. You can flatter God with words. God's more impressed. You mean where you put your money where your mouth is. You see, the Mormons, I, I checked out, everyone them give 15% of their giving. I've been to Salt Lake City, and they'll brag how they give. They'll brag how their forefathers came and give this. You should visit there one time in your life, at least visit. Don't make it to pilgrimage now, but if you do go by there, stop by there. And I promise you, when you at the door, you meet a doctor, a PhD, an MSc, a BSc, you're all that, and they'll tell you, and the floor is immaculate, and they're glad to show you around and show you how blessed they are. And they'll tell you how much they give of their time, of their money, and their wealth, and they'll brag on it. And they'll show you the lights and the walls. And friend, it's nothing about the immaculate situation. They give 15%. Every, more, every Muslim must give every week a certain percentage. They've got to give it. It's their faith, and they give it. I don't see nobody rioting in the street. I don't see nobody leaving the mosque over it. 
in fact, the fastest growing religion in the world, Mohammedism. So giving is not a problem to them. Why is giving good? Giving is good because, here's why, here's the response to giving. I used to wonder, well, what does cheerful giving mean? Most of us, even preachers, don't stop and think about it. When is a person cheerful? How often you and I have been cheerful? How often have you really been cheerful? Really cheerful? How often have you been? Often you see a cheerful child, a cheerful baby. What makes them cheerful? A baby almost smile back when you smile at them. But you see, giving makes you feel, number one, happy. And everybody at the bar and the drugs and all the artificial intakes is for one thing. I want to be happy. This is an unhappy world. Their mouth is turned downward. The people in our world today, this is how they look. They sure don't look this way. They all look this way. Young people aging before they're 40 or 50 and 60, they are troubled in their mind. Their hearts are failing because it's the navel spirit in our world, lovers of themselves. So the hearts are failing them. Research have said it's feel better when you give. Research from Harvard has proven that that to give is a feeling that's better than spending on yourself. It says giving, number two, is good for your health. Research proved, and they, 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 they check thousands of people, that generosity help decreases stress. Because you see, this ha-ha is like good news. It's like medicine to the soul. This ha-ha giving, it helps decrease your stress, lower the blood pressure, and also give you physiological benefit, less rheumatic pain in the system. The most, the most sad person in the world is somebody who stays home and does nothing. An idle person is the most bored person on earth. And rich is going to make you be idle, and so does poverty also. <laughs> In fact, poverty produces idleness. Amen. And the rich man who is idle and taking drugs, because after, after a while, he can eat only some of the steaks, some of the whatever, and he's bored stiff, and he wants a spiritual high, so he goes to what? Cocaine and narcs and die from it. They all die from it. Everyone die from it in Hollywood. They all die. Where's Elizabeth Taylor, by the way? Rex Harrison and and also uh, Rockefeller and all these. Where were they at? Where are they? Huh? Generosity promotes cooperation between humanity. Generosity is rewarded by social connections, happiness, greater advance towards body, wealth, and health and leads to a more positive life. Think about it. 
kids today in, in the affluent society are less happier than kids in poor society. Because the, the, in affluent, they're always receiving, never gave. Always entitled. In foreign countries, poor kids have to work to give to their family. And they enjoy life. Play games like they're happy. And over here, they're not. Giving can become contagious. Book of Acts, chapter, two, chapter 5. It was contagious. It's inspirational. No time to be dull. It's oxytoxin. It's good for the marriage people's sex life. Giving. Because that's what intimacy is. It's giving. Giving. The oxytoxin get motivated. The dopamine start working. Giving. That's why at the Legion, so many people volunteer. Well educated. Well paid. When you go home and sit and you're tired, put your foot up there volunteering. Serving others. Big sister. Big brother. Doing time with other people's kids when your own kids can't even have you to spend time with them. So how do you count your blessings? Volunteer your money to charity. And watch it blesses the kingdom of God and make others happy. How do you count your blessings? Volunteer your time to a worthy, positive cause. If it's worldly, it's going to die here. Because the big brothers and big sisters won't follow them to, in heaven. But when you did for God, it says, Because I was naked and you. I was hungry and you. I was in prison and you. That brings reward. Like, enter thou, listen now, in the joy of the Lord. So that joy don't have to wait till Jesus come. The joy starts now. Excitement. You count your blessings by the ability that you give to the mission. One of the greatest gifts a pastor could ever do to his saints is to delegate to them. Because all he's doing is delegating honor and a room for a notice by God. No involvement, God don't look at you. God watches over those who are involved. The worst thing that happened to you is not to be delegated a job. I've seen men on the job that were employed and the company that's ignoring them and they all they let it go mentally sick. Sit in that office with computers and all that position and still angry and upset with all these faces because they were just ignored. Ignore a baby and watch what happened. It dies. Put a baby in a sterile room and feed its feed only and do nothing else with it and watch it dies. Think about it. That's what people do to themselves by getting involved. Don't be surprised if you find yourself experiencing a burst of happiness and fulfillment after you just gave. 
that girl that put that thing on the Lord Jesus Christ when she left that room friend she was gone in body the prison but her presence was still there because the scent that was on him never could disappear everywhere he went the scent went after him the smell of the alabaster box even though she was not there you know folks I, I watched you guys while you prayed I walked to the door and I feel sorry for everything I really can't help you you don't you plan to change. You think prayer is a chore. It's boredom. Honey, if you don't talk like a plan, there's a veil between you and God. And you don't get behind that veil until you send some sweet smelling odor. And that sweet smelling odor is that prayer. And you get nothing from this building. If you walk in here, you walk in here dead and walk out dead because you send nothing to God. And you don't please me by praying up or praying loud. I've learned, thank God, somebody taught me to pray, right? I should pray. I said, pray out. Cry out. Because the Japanese knows in Gung Fu and all those things, and Taekwondo, that when you shout, there's more power there. Well, I don't know what to say. That's fine. That's your prerogative. But the big impact is that because of your generosity in giving David, hmm, on their terms, because you gave blood, a life was spared. Because you gave cash, huh, a homeless was benefited from it. Because you donated clothing, the naked was taken care of. Because you gave somebody, including yourself, experienced emotional uplift. Why do people die when they retire? They have no reason to live. And you cannot survive without involvement. God made Adam and Eve to take care of the garden. That wasn't work, that was pleasure. Until he put sweat in it. Amen. Cash because it gives the, the, the facility to purchase benefit for others less fortunate. The blood you give can save a life. That's why Jesus Christ gave us his blood. He donates. Amen. Because it influences others to do the same. When they saw the giving, others start giving. But don't be a hypocrite in that and following. Amen. The project that outlive you will always keep you in remembrance. You know, my friend Wayne Mitchell is dead and I can't get him out of my mind. He influenced me. I've been to his place. He sent me places and showed me things. Showed me what he did to get where he was. And changed my life. I still give him credit for all things I do. I give the church credit where I came from for the things that he taught me. Because I realized they were influencing me big. And I chose to do what they said. And I've learned to reject <laughs> the grudging spirit, the sparing spirit, the necessity spirit, and the no way spirit. I do it because I want to. I chose to do it. Thank God I live to do it. Praise God. It's not grudgingly. It's not poringly. This church tonight to me is, is a privilege. It's not. Amen. Something I have to do. I want to do it. I want to be here. When I go to a meeting, I don't look at my clock and say, well, it's time to go home. No, I want to be there. I want everything God says. I want to hear it all. I want to feel it all. Because this could be the night I die. Don't be surprised for your benefits come from big. 
we feel a dose of happiness. And I'm going to tell you, when people come, call me on the phone, I'll, I, get, I make them contagious. Wow, happy! How you doing? Great! Fantastic! Wow. I said, my friend was. Hallelujah. My friend left me on something in me I can't get rid of. Oh, I'm happy! Woo! Pastor, it, it can't be that every day. You're wrong, honey. Why not? Why not? It takes more muscle to frown than to smile. It costs more <laughs> to regret than to be happy. I choose to be happy. Praise God. Because there's always a blessing in even sharing a smile. Harvard Business School research found that acts of kindness, it's act of kindness and small act of kindness that helps pay off many, many people's sense of worth. Think about it. You're sowing seed. Hallelujah. There's nothing wrong about Jesus Christ. I can't find fault with life. You know, I see beauty in winter. I see beauty in spring. I see beauty in summer. I see beauty in autumn. You can see the bad if you want to, but everyone got their beauty. All things are beautiful. All creatures, great and small. You know, in some places I preach this, they'll be shouting tonight, they'll be clapping their hands. It's a matter of the maturity of the audience. How they feel about things. But you see, the results is a dose of feeling good. I feel good. I'm experiencing the difference. Amen. Just fun, the fundraising drive. I raised fun for a cause. I couldn't go to Africa, but I gave for Africa. I couldn't go, but I send my blessing. Hallelujah. The results of it's a feeling good experience. Make a difference. Thank God you become the true benefactor of happiness, of the good deed that I've done. Well, hallelujah. You know, God was going to hurt some guys in the Bible said, but for the good deed that you've done, I changed my mind. Let's worship Jesus. The impact of giving, it leaves you with a positive feeling that you share your wealth. And the mere fact you share your wealth with somebody, it gives you a healthy feeling. Praise God. Praise God. I thought why countries are poor. they poor because they never gave, always receiving. And as long as you're receiving, you become a cistern. When you give out, you become a well. A well perpetuating cleanses. You know, we said on, this, on the sea, Well, Lord, I don't like this wave. This wave is bothers me. Without the wave, the sea will become defunct. That constant moving of the waves caused that sea to be cleansed. It's purging the water. That's what it's doing. It's not trying to put fear in you. It's trying to cleanse itself, my friend. And you enjoy the benefits because the fishes live. Come on now. Amen. Praise God. The trailers never give. Amen. And they always have the least happiness. The poor health. And they're never altruistic. There are three kinds of people in the church. Those on the trailing heads. Those who are, said, move if you can, preacher. And those who says, I shall not be moved. 
and planted by the sea of self-indulgence, I shall not be moved. Hallelujah. And once said, move if you can. And once the Lord passed, I'm going to drag you along with me. Come on, you're going. Let's go. Hallelujah. Which of those faces are you, folks? Why don't you ask me that question? I can see your faces right now. You see, my good giving defines my heart condition. My heart is based on my willingness in my spirit. A cheerful giver is like a medicine in my spirit. No time to be sick. Give good measure and you feel good about it. Walk away. I've done what's right. Give from your needs. I'm expressing commitment. Hallelujah. God said it will come back to you. It come back to you. But if you don't give, it runs from you. I'd rather things come to me as I give to somebody else. Amen. Because amen. People who involve in giving will always experience tremendous remembrance. Folks will be glad when you come and sorry when you leave. And if all you do when you go, you know, visit somebody's home, you sit there for seven days, never take the garbage out, never help sweep the floor, you eat your food and walk away, never have to wash the dishes, never do anything, they're glad when you leave and wish you never come back. In fact, they broke the plate that you used, and I'm worried there's no more plates for you. And throw the fork away that means you ain't coming back. Slap the door on you and say, forget it, you ain't coming back. Hallelujah. Praise God. Your giving is a personal choice. Your giving is sharing off your wealth. Your giving, amen, comes from your health. Healthy people gives. Hello? Sick people full of complaints. Oh, it's like, oh, my back. It's all about them. It's my back, my heart, my head, my daughter. Never ask how you do. I'll tell you how they do. Some folks, you don't want to greet them. They'll make you sick immediately. You've got to run from them. But studies show that personal benefits actually lower blood pressure. You know, that's why I want my blood pressure to go down. I can use, amen, the gospel tablets, which one I want to use. Amen. So I use both, but basically, it lowers your blood pressure. It increases your self-esteem. It takes wrinkles off your face. You don't need cosmetic. Start giving and watch the skin of stress. Wow. Amen. It's, that's what I was All wrinkles are gone. Try it. I saw the wrinkles disappear. Amen. It lessens depression. It lowers the stress level. It promotes longevity. It creates happiness and less worries. I, I, I know that some folks, when I come to the pulpit to preach, it gives them an instant headache. I'm preaching long. Friend, when I enjoy the food, I don't want it to finish. Someone say hallelujah. hallelujah. That gives your lungs a chance to get some oxygen in there. Amen. Say hallelujah again. Hallelujah. Well, come on now. That stagnant air goes out. Yeah. Giving is good for the giver. Nabal died with a stony heart. And the word fell among stony places. You know what help stands for? I live to help. 
means I live because H stands for happier. E stands for elevated. L stands for life and P, potential. I want to live a happier, elevated life potential. Write that down. Write it down. Help. Come on. Come over here and help us. A happy, elevated life potential. I want to think big. Blessing. When I come to that church of God, let me bless Pastor Neil. Let me bless this church. Hallelujah. I talked to a friend. I don't know I'm not telling you this. He said, I want to go to, I said, you going to conference. I said, no. I said, I want you to go. I'll pay it all the way for you. He said, no, I can't. I said, you better. Don't tell me that. I'm going to do it. He said, what, what am I telling you? I'm trying to teach you a lesson that I learned from other people. You make other people happy. Make other people go on their knees and thank God that you live. Make people thank God that you exist. Hallelujah. Dig deep and enjoy a high float. Oh, come on now. Come on, somebody. Amen. I'm living on the most high. Amen. I don't want people to give. I want to give to them. Sometimes we preachers fight about who's going to pay the bill. Amen. Hallelujah. Living richer and full life by giving help. It helps. You give time. It helps. Give cash to charity. Give good measure. Shaking down. Running over. Jesus says, if they want your coat, give your cloak also. Now we're give your wallet also. What do you experience when you give? Less depression than those who didn't give. Can you prove that? Absolutely. Because they're too busy counting their dimes and whatever they got. They count their dimes. My friend, I'm counting my joy. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. Brother, give me a joy to give me this hundred dollar bill. Have it. <laughs> I'm so happy you're going to have it. Take it. Well, Pastor, is it real? What's wrong with it? Take it. It's real. You better not do it to me because I'll take it. <laughs> Just to make you happy. I'll take it from you just to make you happy. Glory to God. Tell the person beside you, make me happy. <laughs> Look at the way you did with your face, one of these faces. <laughs> I can see that. Oh, come on, somebody. When you give cheerfully, you live longer. Biologically, you experience a warmer glow. And your brain is associated with pleasure and you feel happier that you made a difference. You know what I think of the perfume? It's to make it for your lack of activity making a difference in the building. At least the one know why I know you're there, right? <laughs> so you're going to smell different because you don't act different. <laughs> but if you act different you won't need perfume because they know you're there. Because when you're there, friend, the floor will be cleaned. The carpet will be taken care of. The songbook will be taken up. But some make it with a perfume that'll stick the place up. <laughs> you know, hospital today, you can't wear perfume to the hospital. They say, bring that little stinker in. The machine says, I want to know what you really are. 
I don't want your perfume smell. It's artificial. I want to check you out just like you smell. Oh, come on now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Folks, do this, folks. Try it. If you see any vapor, you're just a bunch of hot air. Think about it. Try it. See what else happened? Look at that. Look at it. So it's coming out. But you give for the good health you're going to have. I used to wonder why doctors, you know, doctors, I can see why that is a problem because, you know, the face you make <laughs> provoke them to be scared of you. But doctors, you know, they sit there all day, doctor, my lumbago is bothering me. Doctor, my neck is bothering me. Doctor, my backache is bothering me. And when someone said, doctor, doctor, so why are you here today, Trevor? I feel good. <gasps> watch your doctor response. You said, doctor, they said, why, why? Now, what's wrong? Doctor, absolutely nothing. I'm going to tell you, I feel like I'm on cloud nine. I promise you, you have to call the paramedics for your doctor. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Next time you see it coming, the bells will be ringing, jaw bells. They know he's coming. Come on, somebody. Is all right? Can I move on faster? It's not time to go yet. I'm almost finished. But studies show giving is good for your health. It helps me to experience greater sense of wellness. It boosts my mental capacity and helps me have a physiological, psychological phenomena that is outstanding out of this world. Ugh. God says, cheerful giver. Modify cheerful. <laughs> oh, pastor, I want you to know that I come here with $100,000 to give this church. I wanted to throw it at the saints. <sighs> I see you say it's not funny. I don't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> the impact of a non-giver experience is this listen up folks chronic condition mental health issue low self-esteem mistrust and depression I watch people whose business should be successful they, 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 go, they, they collapse but this guy said God if you help me I'll give you 10% of my business all right? So God blessed him. He said, oh, God, you're so good to me. God, I give you 20% of my business. And so God blessed him again. He's happy. Come and say, oh, God, I'm so happy. I give you 30%, God. And so he keep on going. He says, 50%, and then 60%, and then 70%, then 80%, then 90%. And finally, said, God, I'm going to give you all of that. I just live off the interest. See, you don't believe it, but it happens over and over. And then the guy said, God, I'm a dentist, my business is not doing good. I need your help. God blessed it. Now you're getting more than 100,000. You're getting several thousand, thousand. The pastor knows he's not in church. He's missing church. What's wrong with him? I said, the wife, oh, no. He said, oh, you know, he's busy making money. 
So he came to church one time and said, What's going on? I said, Pastor, you know, I can confess to you. When I was making low cash, I couldn't give it 10%, but now it's too much to give it what I should. Man, I said, Oh, son, I understand. I know how tough it is. Let's go to the same altar where we prayed and ask God to be a blessing to you. The same place where we prayed and asked God to increase your income or your investment, your return of capital. Let's pray. And I start praying and say, Oh, God, you've blessed this man so much that it's hard for him to give what he should give. Will you take him back to where he was when he first met you? Oh, no, don't pray that. Don't pray. Please don't pray that. Stop it. Stop it. What's wrong? Well, I'm making it so he can give tithe. And I feel the pain doing it. Oh, no. I don't, don't, don't pray that kind of prayer. You see, when you're giving generously, you feel good about it emotionally, spiritually, physically, in a positive way. Not everybody on our pews are happy. Look around and see. Look for yourself. Start with yourself. Get the mirrors out. Giving is about helping. You know how you help yourself? Help others first. God says, give yourself first and others will give to you. Don't say, give unto others and others will give unto you. It takes me to give out before it inflow. i got to reap what I sow. I can't reap if I don't release. I've got to let go and bear it and not know what's going to happen and leave it in the mystery of the unknown world of tomorrow. And God says, I'm going to reap what I sowed. You can't reverse the equation, honey. Giving is about supporting a cause bigger than yourself. Would you ask God right now to touch your mind? I'm in a church. I'm trying to help you, church. I'm trying to help you right now. Because your answer is not more overtime. Your answer is not aiming longer hours working and skipping church. Your answer is not winning all six, four, nine. Your answer is start following seed sowing. You reap what you sow in proportion. Amen. The payback is... Is that giving feeling that, 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 that takes over your well being and, and kind of a you feel kind of sense of empowerment. Oh God, I have what to give. I feel joy. I feel happy. Let's worship God. I'm coming home. Stay with me, folks. Judgment, folks. The facts. Happy people give more. And giving may happy people. Can I say it again? Happier people gives more. And giving makes people happier. That means giving indeed causes increased happiness. Therefore, give in order to be happy.
Well, he makes me sad. He makes me hard. No, he won't make you sad. You make yourself happy. Happiness can't come from your husband or your wife. It comes from you giving, giving, giving. You know, you know what a baby gives to a mama for taking care of her or the kid? A smile. That smile is worth more than a million dollars. It worth more than a car. It worth more than anything. Else. That smile from that baby without gum and no teeth at all. Just the little hands up there. I mean, a liability. You know, it's a liability. But that's not what you think about that smile. Oh, my cute little baby. It just blesses you and heal you. You know what? Mothers who give breastfeeding get healed faster than those who don't. Because the giving out of the breastfeeding is what gives that baby satisfaction and that mom feel emotional uplift. That mom feel a, an exhilaration she can't get by giving problem and all that stuff. She missed out of that touch. That squeeze from the kid that says, Oh, mom. And the sensation that hit the brain. In, Af in England, this Caucasian preacher, I mean, doctor, was making fun of this nurse. And uh, I was told. I said, you know, you Africans, you always feed your baby breastfeeding beyond measure, beyond the time. And uh, you just don't know when to quit. So, but doc, looking at you, you look like you could do some breastfeeding right now. <laughs> You've been shortchanged. Who, who took you away so quickly? <laughs> Boy, she was going to come back. Church, give in order to be happy. I lost it now. Give to be happy. You know, I've been to a store where people serve me food and I lost my appetite. They didn't enjoy their job. I thought, you're blessed to be employed. And I couldn't feel good enough food because I felt was that face looking at me. That haunted face. Remember the haunted house? A haunted waitress will destroy her, your esophagus. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. The worst thing a wife could ever do to a husband is say, Honey, that's not good enough. I start finding fault with the food. I mean, you mess up that guy's appetite, man. Let him tell you that because he won't tell you that. He loves that food. At least I do. <laughs> Amen. I'm going to tell my wife what a rotten food this was. She won't feel good about it next time. Hello. Volunteering and to fight off depression. Anybody with depression? What you need is a good dose of volunteering. Anybody unhappy? You need to empty out your wallet. Lord of mercy. Anybody got means, uh, a pain in their joints and all that stuff? Volunteer more. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I come to close, folks. I know said several times. Amen. But volunteer to fight it off. Amen. It helps you to see the forest and not just the trees. All right? Canadian study. 80% Ontarians who volunteer said they felt good in their health. 79% amen, of non-volunteers said they felt good. So you can see 
the benefit is on the side of volunteering. All right? 2% of the volunteers said they didn't feel indifferent. They had a problem. That's what's wrong with them. All right? 52% in the states said they felt volunteering gives them a good feeling of good health. Only 38% said they felt good about themselves. Amen. Now, church, let's stand because you want to go home. Now, folks, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you physiologically, sociologically, spiritually, and mentally. The best way for God to bless your pocketbook is to empty it out. God can't refill what is full. Lord have mercy. I say God can't refill what is full. Now I gotta play to this empty so let's look at the literally right now. Amen. Church now putting all drugs aside. When I go to a conference, I learn this from successful men. I watch their churches. It's powerful, it's successful, it's beneficial. I'm going to a conference this year, and I'm going to give. I'm going there to give. I, I make up in my mind, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, and they won't know I'm doing it. Because I want to come back and God bless you. I believe I affect you. Now, you don't know that you're blessed by, by the church's giving, but what this church lives is affecting you. Because you're in this church. All for one and one for all. Seven reasons why giving is important. The emotional and the physical boost. Write it down. Number two, it's top loneliness. Oh my God. Number three, you're giving back to the community you're in. It's, a, it's, it's your return of the favor for your enjoyment. Number four, a sense of word. Number five, amen. Uh, you know, it, it's just that you support a project that outlive you. Number six, it boosts your self-esteem. Number seven, it makes a difference. Number eight, you reward yourself by donating time and money for a worthy cause. Get the tape. Get the record. I watched the rest of the face out there. They're chasing me on the highway. Number one, emotional and physical boost. Number two, stop loneliness. Number three, give back to the community by saying, I'm returning the favor that you give to me, the joy I have. I get joy being in this church. I really do. There are people in this church that just excites me. I get a dose of them, and I, I'm like I'm high on drugs. I'm serious. It's the spiritual drugs I'm high on. Just talking to them, I say, oh, boy, shot in my head. Wow! My wife hears me all the time. I got a booster rocket in me. Number five. Now I know some people ain't gonna, I'm gonna say, "Hi, hi, I'm excited." What's too excited about today? <laughs> you gonna talk to them? No way. You gonna pass them by? What a good day. What's so good about it? <laughs> Everything. Number five. Support a product that outlive you. Number six. It boosts your self-esteem. To know you did that. You gave. You know, this is the fourth year the youth department have exceeded last year's. Go ahead, clap. The youth from this church gave. Making a difference, number seven. Number eight, reward yourself by noting time and money to the worthy cause. Why did that young man come and say, Pastor Neil, I want to work on this church in Athabasca and St. Albert. Look, I didn't ask him to do it. He said, God sent him here to do it.
Ah! What? God said, me, you know what? Because I'm giving. You don't know I'm giving. Yeah, I'm giving. Ha, I don't want to tell you what, what, what the church gift on the church is. We do. Good measure. You say, well, what do they do with it? That's their business. God knew I gave it to them. Once I give to them, I have no management over it. I don't care. It's up to them to make good use of it. They have to talk to God about it later on. I gave it because I want to. This church knows from the day one, the day we stop serving mission, we shrink. You ask my wife about it. We serve from the day we came to this church. We do it. Why? Because the joy I get to know the missionaries out there. All right? Donate while you're alive. Don't wait till you're dead. Please, don't wait till you're dead. Alive, you can know where your money is going towards what you approve of. And that's an abortion project. Number two, dead, you have no saying where your money ends up. Who drive your cars? Hello? Who wear your clothing? Number three, live to see and hear the appreciation because you did this I live number four able to reward amen yourself for a job well done I don't give to obligate people when I give you don't owe me nothing will you thank me or not is irrelevant the fact is he that seeth Rewardeth. I don't blow my trumpets. It's what I'm teaching you. Now, church, when I go places, I brag on Jesus. It intimidates people. I don't care. I can't hide on the bush of what God does for me on the, on the house stop. Mm-mm. 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 I'm telling you, I've got no secret about God's blessing. I'm going to tell people. They're going to think I'm rich. That's their problem. But alive, you can make a care package. Dead, you can't make one. You're the package. You're going to the grave. Number two, you can surprise others with your act of kindness and usefulness. That's your mission in life. You know, the Bible says, giving is also a gift of the Spirit. He that giveth, let him do it cheerfully, not grudgingly. This is important as Acts 2.38. Because the book of Acts started with giving. Show support by volunteering your time, talent, and funds. I've never said to God, God, I'm too tired. I can't do this for you. I will never tell him that. Are you too tired for me? Never too tired for me. And furthermore, when I was in the world, I went to the bar, stayed there all till midnight, and go to work for 7 in the morning. Never complain one time. Huh? Hello? Amen? I did something in the world. I said, if I did it for the devil, I can do it for God. Nobody complained about it in the world, so why should I complain it for God? Come on, say about it. Amen! Now, some practicum tonight. What does this church need? $100,000 to fix this building. Would that be too hard for you to pay $100,000? Come back, Simon. Don't leave. It's a bad time to leave. Simon, come on back here. Bad time to leave. 
I'm just teaching it. I'm just joking. Go ahead. Okay. But you know what? I went to the car dealer last week, and I saw a car there. And our, our church car is about what? Ten years old. It started falling apart, rusting. I said, I don't want any of this car till my church is fixed. Yeah. This is where I worship. And this is first. I want God to look good. When we're praying outside, I let him look around, and boy, I shout loud so she could hear me, in case you think I'm ashamed. I do say, Praise God! Jesus, I'm proud of you! I wanted to hear it. So she know I'm unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I said, no, this car is worth $100,000. Young people make Mary overpaid, underworked, huh? stressed out, dying. We'll buy those cars. And two days they don't want a record after <laughs> some pub nights. It's true. And some even leases them pay three times as much. If I tell those same kids in this church, I need $100,000 to beautify this temple. I said, Pastor, all you people are a bunch of money hungry people. But they never told the guy who sold the dope to them. I have it of $10,000 a night. Come on now. For Coke and Matt. Crystal! Well, I'm a fool for Christ, but not for drugs. After death, I want to be remembered that I did what I could with the cash I had. And the time I had. And the talent I had. Number three, I want to leave a legacy behind. That your, your kids and my kids have a place of memorial of heroes. We need to have more heroic even flags waved. A guy in our church start doing something on UPC. I got a flag in my wife said, I don't want to see that flag right now. It's the flag for heroes in our church. When they die, you put it on their coffin. These are people who gave time, money, and talents to the church without cost. Willfully gave it. Give now. Why wait for a will? The will of God is now. Now, Dad, we want a living will. Give to God right now. Enjoy, number five, enjoy satisfaction while living. And your survival family will too. Let me tell you, friend, after Abraham died, what he gave to God affected Levi. I want to tell you, my father and mom lived for God. I don't mind confessing to you, everything I have coming to me today is not based on what I did, it's what they did. Because they opened their houses to people. And their frying pan and their cooking pot to people. It from their plates. They did. And so God remember us. And my sister's kids, they're all doctors and lawyers out there. You know why? Because God remember them. And God promised my family, I'm going to save my dad and mom. I'm going to save your kids and your grandkids. They're dead and not here to see it, but God is doing that exactly right now. And they're all educated. Like God said he would. God took a, a young people from the backwoods of Jamaica somewhere out there. Amen. Without mom and dad. But they love the truth. And God stood with them. And traveled them around the world and dropped us off all around the world. 
like rabbits drop their kids. And here we are in Canada right now preaching the gospel for Jesus. Hallelujah. Enjoy the satisfaction that while you're living, your survived family too will enjoy the fruit of your labor. Nabal had no sons. Would you bow your heads right now? If Jesus should tarry, when you die, and when I die, will your gifts still speak like Abel's blood? Like Dorcas's gift. Like the girl with the alabaster box. Will your work still be left here justifying for you? I plan to leave this church in the city to say Neil and Phyllis was here. We plan to beautify it. Amen. The contribution. Will it be immortalized? David left everything the temple needs. Somebody who has never been blessed by this church has stepped out and started investing in this church and don't even know what we believe completely or what we started out with and giving all of that should they outgive you? should they outgive me? should they be willing to dig so deep in their pocket? or are you just sitting and criticize that they're a fool? oh my friend they call waste what the lady did for Jesus maybe you're calling what they're doing for the church right now waste and said, well, they should be doing it for their family. You're wrong. That's what Judas said about Jesus and that woman. And Jesus said, leave her alone. I'm going to say, leave him alone. That's what he feels. He felt God save him from a death house. And he figured God worth more than that. Than anything he owns. Think about tonight. Did God speak to anybody here tonight? He spoke to my heart. When I studied this, I owe him. I can't give God short change. I can't give God short change. Amen. People just do things for me, not because I'm popular, but because I made up in my mind going to follow what Wayne Mitchell says. Give. Give. Amen. Brother Grisham says, outlive yourself with projects. Invest in God. I see companies shutting down, going bankrupt, and losing their homes. I don't plan to lose anything except my sins. Hallelujah. Amen. When you leave, what will you leave behind? Darkness left a handkerchief. He said, look what she left behind. What will you leave behind? This church is being worked on right now. Nobody's yet come to me and said, Paul, Sebastian Neal, I volunteered 10000 20000 Thirty thousand dollars to fix this church. You're all watching it happen, and then ask, "How's it paid for? How's it going, Pastor?" Oh man, we all celebrate together. That's fine, but you know what? If I were some of you, I'd say I want to be in the middle of it all. I don't care what anybody's doing, Pastor. I got some money I don't need. I want to give it to the cause. I want to. I want to donate this to the cause. I'm not going to ask you if you need it. I'm going to give it because I see there's a need out there, and no one man can get all the blessing. I want to be a part of that. I wonder if God's speaking to anybody tonight. Sow the seed. Sow the seed. There's a ground here tonight. Is there any harsh stuff here tonight? You want to step forward to God? If it was a car, I'd invest in it. If it was a house, I would. A boat, I would. But God, this is your house. The neighbors won't do it, but I will invest in it. Who will step forward? 
is God. Whatever I have to give, whether it's for my piggy bank or my excess, doesn't matter. I'm going to give. I know there's a need for this church has it. I'm not going to ask if there's a need. I can see there's a need. I can see the struggle. And nobody's asking when I'm going to come. Step forward and give it. Because I didn't. God said, David, I didn't ask for it. You step forward and give it to me. So, David, I'm going to make your name forever. David, you'll be always be remembered because everybody was content for my ark to stay in the tent out there. But you said, I'm going to build a, a magnificent house.